0: the perspective which I'm just kind of looking at the story and looking at everything we're doing. It's going back, we're we're talking about the nature of reality on a certain level. Like, if someone can go and be a skinwalker, if someone can go and and do this, if there are serpents of wisdom, like, it it ultimately begs the question, like, well, how, what is the nature of this reality that's experiencing? You can go and do that, like, if I could turn into a bird or if I could go into that, like, you know, how does... What are we looking at?
1: What's going on? How are you?
0: I'm doing well. How are you, brother?
1: All right. Did you get a chance to listen to that since uh, we last talked?
0: Uh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Are we uh, recording? Are we going?
1: Yes, sir. Should we not?
0: Yes, we should.
1: <laughs> all right.
0: All right. All right. So, um, first off, this is the first time I think we've done this at night, isn't it?
1: It is the your first Your Handbook Apocalypse Under Moonlight. Full moon, nonetheless.
0: Uh, Full moon, nonetheless. Full moon right before the equinox. Right. Right. Little thing right now. Okay. So, um, so it feels really appropriate that we are, um, that it's under the auspices of a full moon nighttime, uh, conversation
2: because
0: that thing you made me listen to. (laughs)
2: Uh, yeah. Um, that is,
0: uh, I'll just say it this way. The way my, my body responded listening to it, um, was an indication of, uh, it was very, very uncomfortable. I'll just leave it at that. Hmm. When you listen to it, did you, do you feel anything like that?
1: Well, There's a sort of thrill associated with listening to certain types of stories. Yes, I think they do a good job of taking something that could be told in a different way and putting it in a story narrative. There's a lot of story elements to the podcast, but yeah, I kind of get a sense of that anytime I listen to a podcast dealing with true crime or things that have that sort of dark, grim fascination.
0: Without a doubt, without a doubt. And, and, and first off, I mean, it, the, the, the caliber, the caliber and the quality was so, when I, when I'm saying this, I'm not saying this in any ways of a critique. I'm just saying like it was tapped into something which was primordially um, unsettling. And so, uh, that's what I'm looking forward to talking to you about tonight. That's why the whole thing, like it makes sense We're under the, the darkness.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and it, uh, where to begin. Um, so do you remember the episode we did? We did on, um, you know, uh, uh fake synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Um, this hasn't to me, to me, what, what, the, the 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 creators did so so beautifully is they really kind of like encapsulated that concept mm. in talking about the mythos of um, of James Shelby Downard, and I I guess I thought of my I would say my knowledge of of, of Shelby Downard is, um, probably greater than your typical person off the street. But listening to these guys talk, I'm like, wow, I, I had no idea how deep it went. So a lot of this was brand new to me. And what I, I, I took some notes and I'll tell you why, um, I'll tell you, and I'm kind of dancing around the, the, you know, where I'm going to go with this and maybe I'm not even certain where it's going to go. But there are a couple things that really resonated, uh, meaning I felt it in listening to them talking about um talking about this entire topic. Okay.
1: Okay. There was there were a couple things that stood out for me. I hope I'm not uh beating you to the punch, but did you happen to write down the address where they said Shelby Allegedly lived in Saint Petersburg, Florida. Yes, I did. <laughs> How proximal is that to where you were not too long ago?
0: According to Google Maps and their directions, it was seven point
1: seven miles. Wow.
0: Okay. So, so not so like not on the same block, not on the same block, but. <laughs> This is exactly what I'm talking about. Right. So in fact, that was a perfect segue because there's a lot that was said there, which felt very eerily personal. Okay. Um, particularly his, his obsession with being chased by the Freemasons,
1: right? Mm. <laughs> yes.
0: Right. Right. Like, you know, I, you know, so we don't, we, we see the similarities. And then there was a quote um, and it was it's difficult because I'm not it's the first time I've listened to to the penny royal podcast and I was un I, I was not familiar with all the voices and so it was a little bit confusing who was speaking at all times but at some point someone said uh, and I believe it was the host um, that you go through this process like when you really get deep into um, the 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 basement sort of stuff of conspiracy and and synchro mysticism um, that you will begin to see your life is so amazingly intertwined with all of the connections which you're discovering. Like that is a seemingly uh, um, predictable outcome that happens to all people who do, who go through the process
1: agreed yeah I think that was a big part of and you might I think you're referring to Nathan uh the host when I right. spoke to him on my podcast uh, a week or two ago that was a big part of our conversation it's how it all sort of pulls you deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole
0: and and <laughs> so when I t- when I made that that comment a few moments ago about the the false synchronicity. Um, what 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 Nathan was pointing out, and what I think that, from my perspective, what that episode so so beautifully encapsulated was the the mechanisms of seeing that in action, and that was kind of my uh, my my take of how they might take away of all of the 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 Shelby Downard conclusions or lack thereof or all the potentialities like of seeing that. Um, but it did not I did not listen to it purely as an observer listening to it because I can self reflect, because it's very quite timely, of similarities Within the story, which we have been documenting since we began this this podcast, right, with the St. Petersburg and all of them, like, were Oh, Yeah. So, so, but I also have been through it, and so we we're, we're what I what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is um, that whatever this, when I say this, the the whole. The, the the james Shelby Downard mythos and you're tapping into as they called it the the and we could probably go into this more detail but the proinquity you know of nature we're looking at we're looking at a a truth to the nature of this reality but we're seeing it like you know the trickster in action like this is the trickster whatever this is is the trickster And when you go through it, like that's what, like the, uh, it is, it is, it is designed in such a way that the more it pulls you in, the more true it becomes. And if it doesn't pull you out the whole way, it eats you up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I've spoken to people who talk about synchronicity with the sort of, uh, you know shrugged because of that because they maybe went down the wrong path and now they're a little bit afraid of what the synchronicities were showing them.
0: And, and so, so that's what, um, that's what, uh, I think the reason why I had that visceral reaction listening to it was because I'm like, okay, I, I, I know this is the, the this is the trickster element, but then in the grand scheme of things, the trickster plays a part. The trickster is not separate from it. If you're in the trickster's world, you're in the trickster's world. But the trickster is part of the bigger world. Mm. And so that's what what I think is is really what 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 struck me as listening to this and being self reflective is seeing where, where it tries to, um, you know, it's exactly what was said at the, the initiation. It's like, it's just, it's just trickster fear scarecrows. But they're really, really, really real. I mean, or, or appear to be real, just as the James Shelby dowered, but once you begin to go and you look at it, you can see no matter what, there's something that doesn't add up about this.
1: Yeah, it was interesting to hear the possibility that he was just a literary device. I I think they ultimately concluded that he, in fact, was a real person, maybe being used, you know, like the character was created based on this real person. Um, But it is interesting also to point out the significance of just, you know, the journey that you went on, I went on, on the roads, and this guy's father was one of the main, you know, asphalt, uh, I don't know, creators.
0: Right, people. they kept on calling him the alchemist of asphalt. Like yeah. He, he, he figured out how to make it work. Right. He had a patent process. Um, definitely, I mean, it's it's the the... <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing hit really, really close to home, um, and I think that embedded in all, oh, embedded in all of that, there are truths, but the truths might not be what you think the truth is, and so that's part of what, what this, this, the, 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 whatever JSD. I'm just going to call it JSD. It's going to be easier for me to say whatever JSD is. Like in terms of an egregore, in terms of a, a revealer of information, is is as, as whatever that may be, it is um, it's strong medicine. It's very very strong medicine because if you come out the other side, you'll you'll have a clarity or a greater clarity of of you know what is real and what isn't. But you have to go through that process um, mm. to to. To your point, oh, there was there was uh that was aside. What did you say right before I I started speaking? Because there's something very specific I wanted to respond
1: to, and it's escaped me at this moment. Well the 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 point of roads and and paving and how they connected everything. Oh, Oh. and how how James Shelby Downer might have been a literary device that was created uh just how
0: how is that not William Shakespeare? (laughs) Right right? It's like, we're seeing modus operandi and whatever is the cause of the modus operandi. I don't know, but, but, but that, uh, the saying goes like, you know, uh, if something happened, if something happens once, it happens one time. But if something happens two times, you can count on there being a third time. So it's like, you know, this is a, this, we've seen this, we've seen this played out before. We've seen this, this thing played out. What that exactly means, I don't know. But, um, it certainly f- seems very similar um, uh, characters that we've talked about, and it just as we talked about uh, Anton Wilson and Michael Hoffman.
1: Right, right. And uh, just a quick side note: I interviewed a guy who knew Robert Anton Wilson personally uh, a couple of weeks ago. A man named Reverend Ivan Stang, a founder of the Church of the Subgenius
0: my hat goes off to you for the people you get on your show. Uh, <laughs> it's really, really fantastic. Part. Um, uh, so it's that, that, that thing we listened to was definitely a, a, um, uh, a, a greater expose of the scaffolding, which is behind it all. You know, whatever, uh, Robert Anton Wilson. Whatever you are, whatever I am, we're becoming aware of this. Like there is something of um, there. There is something uh, palpable in the the way which we are seeing the the cords of connections mm-hmm. behind the scenes. I mean, it's it's that's what uh, I'm. I'm really, really in in awe of, and I mean that in terms of like, what the hell am I looking at (laughs) listening to that, that presentation because it just exposed or or did something. It exposed, I think that might be a word It clarified uh, so much for me, at least.
1: Right. Right. And And, sorry, go go ahead. Please. Well, I was going to say, it's interesting to, to hear them sort of express and they obviously did a lot more research than I have. But, you know, looking at the King kill 33 stuff and, and even Michael Hoffman's work, there is a sort of like uh, method that's missing, which I think Hoffman sort of explains a little bit, but, you know, for the most part, I really resonated with that comment that they made towards the beginning about how the mechanics of uh j s d s sort of theories are never quite clear uh He really focuses on the you know individual sort of uh points, and they're kind of poetic in the way that he puts them together
0: uh, yes, yes, I and mean, I would say you know that's that's the whole nature of synchro mysticism, <laughs> mm. Like, is that there is a a recognition that there's something happening behind the scenes. And, and that, the, do you remember the word that, uh, I said it before, I had it written down, but now I don't have it in front of me, the pin, what was the P word tied to Jim Garrison?
1: Propensity?
0: Uh, no, it wasn't, it was a word I'd Pro-pink- never heard of before.
1: Propinquity?
0: Yes, propinquity. Hmm. And that was Jim Garrison, the... The supposed, right, you know, we don't know if it happened or not, but let's say it did. The supposed uh, um, prosecuting attorney uh, for anyone who, uh, for the murder of John John F. Kennedy. You know, that's what the JFK movie is about, is the story of this guy, Jim Garrison, who was down in, in New Orleans. And what they said was he used a, a, an evidence gathering technique known as how do you say it for me because I'm not being, I'm not able to say it pro,
1: propinquity
0: so, is there is there an whatever it is so pro, yes pro, propinquity propinquity and that is the name and I don't know if it was the name he used or if it's a known technique but what he would do is any way that there could be any sort of correlation between anything that he would
1: say, like, well, that's valid. Right. So and, go on. the the de- the definition of propinquity on uh, just a search is that it, it just means proximity, nearness, kinship, or similarity in nature. So, yeah, very much what you're saying. But there's also a sort of concept uh, in social psychology propinquity is one of the main factors leading to interpersonal attraction. So it's kind of like a sub, it's a, a theory within the sort of like social psychology.
2: Uh, yes.
0: Uh, and the, the first definition, at least in the context we're talking about that, uh, is, is a good fit. And then probably if we would go and dissect the, the social psychology sub genre. I bet you we could see how that makes sense too. Um, but that, that it's, it's pointing to an understanding of reality through, um, a very, very different lens. Hmm. Right. And there seems to be something to it, right? That's what we're, that's what we're experiencing and that's what we're playing with. But then there's also, um, there's also the, um, what I'm calling this, this, this trickster quality. And we had a whole show about the trickster. Do you remember that one? Oh yeah. Right. And so like this, 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 this feels very much a coming full circle of so many of our earlier episodes and the way that so many of these topics that we have covered um, are kind of woven in around this JSD, which seemingly goes back, you know, the first point of like using it this way, at least in our, our cultural um, touch point is Jim, this Jim Garrison guy who was, who was uh, portrayed on the big screen in the JFK Oliver Stone film or uh, JFK, which is an Oliver Stone film. And was portrayed by Kevin Costner. And we talk so much about Kevin Costner and field of dreams. Mm-hmm. And so we're beginning to see like how this, how this is, is being structured because there's something that's not real about it, but then there is something which is being, which is real in how it works.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of a little bit, uh, you know, at a loss for words because it is cool to see it come full circle, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely a lot more to be learned about this character. And I think uh, they even made the point of being like, oh, he's like Jesus Christ. You know, there's so many different stories about this guy and you can't be too sure which one is the right one. So he definitely fits the bill of uh, our typical trickster.
0: Yes. Well, I would say the whole thing does. Right. So, um, so what's, what's the point of all of this? What's the point of all of this? I think this is what the point of all of this is, is I say you have to come out the other side. And so when you come out the other side, that means like, okay, I don't need to, I need, I don't need to look at any of that anymore. I don't need to look at that anymore. Like I've seen that there's a truth and the truth is the interconnectedness. And I see the truth that there is seemingly some very trickster elements which are at play to create something. I don't know who, what or who created JSD, but I do know <laughs> there's a whole lot more to that story. And I can see what that is given birth to. Right. Um, and so when you come out the other side, what that means is like, well, this is where we are right now. What did it give birth to? And that's a whole lot a whole lot more valuable and practical and empowering and inspiring than looking at the trickster eye to eye. Mm. So so uh when you're ready, and we could say with we could stay with this for a while because there's a lot of fascinating things we could go into uh what I want to do is then switch the gears to something which which fits that description which I just laid out.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, other than other than what I've already sort of mentioned, I I was just curious to get your thoughts on the penny Roll because I thought it's just such a well done uh, piece and you know really exemplifies synchro mysticism.
0: Oh um, my God, they do they do an amazing job. And then like I, I I was I felt humbled I felt humbled I'm like I we' we'd like maybe we talk about what we're gonna talk about before we record but but like for the most part it's like we just sit down and we just talk about whatever comes up right mm-hmm. like the so the if you look at the efforts or, or the the dedication maybe dedication is the right word because I don't necessarily want to use the word effort I would be thoughtful with my words um, but the dedication which we bring to this. And, and they're, they're different things. I know that. And, but then the dedication which was brought to that episode. And I was like these and, – and the caliber, the caliber of research, like listening to the guys he was interviewing with, like, I was blown away. I think that I was the, – the, to see that, that, co- that people put that sort of effort in this craft of understanding the nature of the interconnectedness of reality through synchro I mean, it was, um, I was blown away. I was, I was humble. I was like, I don't do enough.
1: <laughs> well, it's definitely, I think it, it's definitely going to bring maybe people who are never familiar with the concept into understanding it in a deeper way. And, and yeah, it's great stuff for those of us who have an idea of what it is. Cause yeah, they, they do a great job of clarifying, but the other thing that really came up for me, particularly in episode two, because um, I agree, I think it's it's just great. I can't praise it enough. But uh, I was a little concerned after hearing their take on Hoffman and uh, and just sort of his association with these more unsavory, you know, controversial. Uh, racist groups and again you know as somebody who works for a controversial podcast like i understand there's a lot of uh libel that gets applied to anybody that just questions these things so who knows maybe that's the case you know with anybody but then when you when you see like uh associations with you know these groups and whatnot it's like hmm, it it really made me scratch my head and and think like well, should I still interview this guy, A, you know, B, if I do, and I think we even talked off the air about this, uh, you know, if I do, you know, what should I do with it, uh, you know, have it maybe as a paywall only type show, just in case it is a sensitive conversation, because I'd love to learn, honestly, what this guy uh, you know, it's really his, uh, <laughs> whatever his thoughts are, I mean, for worse or, or better. Um, but you can't really, I mean, I don't know. I, I just feel like after, after getting the pamphlets that I got, buying the books from him and then hearing that on the, on the, um, Penny Raw, which really, yeah, makes me think twice about it.
0: So, I've got two thoughts as it relates to that. Can, can I share
1: Of course. Yeah.
0: All right. So, uh, um, one is, um, I agree with everything you're saying and I think it's very, very, very wise of you to just be thoughtful, you know? Okay. What, what, what am I doing? Um, and then, uh, secondly, you don't have, I, <laughs> it's amazing that you, you have an interview with this guy and now you have a context as to what you're interviewing for, interviewing with. Um, and, and I would even suggest this is a test in a way because there's a lot of stuff out there. One of the most interesting things, which I heard was the amount of the edits, which goes on the Hoffman, um, Wikipedia page.
1: Mm, Right. Right. Yeah. They did mention that too. Yeah.
0: So, so they said a hundred over a hundred in December alone. Um, Interpret that any way you want, but the one thing you can say is that there's certain things which are very, very, be, are very managed here, and for you to um, be given the opportunity, you know, and also it goes the other way, for whatever Hoffman is, the opportunity, like, you know, it's, it's uh, he set the stage. He's like, I want you to go and do your research. And so, but he left it open up enough to be like, well, he knows there's so much research that's out there. He knows there's so much information that's out there. Someone who is going to spend so much time, so much time on um, on that Wikipedia page, of course they know that season two, is uh, episode two is out there. And of course they know that all of the other information of the people who have been interviewed um, is out there. So that means that an open door was given to you to see like how deep are you going to go with your research? What are you going to come with? Right, <laughs> right. So then, the second thing is so so. That's why, I, like, uh, oh, so so. You go and you do all that. You interview with this guy, and then after that, you decide what you want to do with it. Right, but but you know you're you're stepping through the door. Uh, but you're stepping through your door with at least one eye open. Um. So the second thing is the the analogy which they use in describing JSD was that of Russian dolls. And that's a wonderful metaphor right now, right?
1: Yeah, Matryoshka doll. Uh,
0: and, and you know, I, I was, I'm joking, the timeliness of, of the way with Russia, you know, and the, the, the trickster, the boogeyman, the scary man, which is being presented uh, worldwide right now. Um, you know, whatever's happening is happening, but that's definitely the thing that's being presented. Or at least in Western uh, in Western media outlets.
2: Um,
0: why would you think that? Why would you think that what they're suggesting is the bottom or the final Russian doll is the final Russian doll?
2: <laughs>
0: right? Like <laughs> it just keeps going deeper and deeper than that. Mm. I don't believe like like there's a level of reality where where there's that's true, but I think a lot of that those are boogeymen. Uh, egregore tricksters as well, like they exist, but but they all fall apart as well. Like what we're seeing is is the crumbling of the boogeyman. Right. That's what the trickster is. The trickster is the boogeyman. You got to be scared of this. You got to be scared of that. Be scared of that. But then you need to go and then weigh what I just told you. I mean what I just told you is just like an idea. Like you're like, okay, you know, I can't really <laughs> I can't really stand upon that, but it is a perspective for me to go look at. You got to go weigh that idea with whatever your conversation is and then however it is that you choose you want to go and 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 meet meet the world through the internet. You know, and that's for you to decide. Right?
1: Well, <laughs> everyone listening, sign up for the Patreon because that's the surefire way you'll hear the interview. Um, it's not as soon as... I misspoke when we were on the phone earlier. It's not uh, coming up so soon. It's at the end of the month, so I have a little bit more time. But, yeah, it's definitely good to hear your opinion on that. And, uh, and yeah, I just got to, you know, figure out where exactly I want to focus, but I think I'm going to spend some time talking to him about JDS or JSD now, you know,
0: right, right, definitely so. Or like, go and see where it goes. Like you're you you're you're an expert interviewer. Your instincts are accurate. Thank you. Your train your training will pay off. Awesome. you will go where you need to go. You know where you you you'll need to go. But yeah, you know, the more prep, the better. I I definitely so
1: that means a lot coming from you. I appreciate it. So, but yeah, you know, I, I think that that show really kind of comes in at a synchronistic time. Um, but also that documentary that we watched, which I hope we can get back to if it's not too far out of uh, frame, because I'm going to be doing this sort of skull and bones walking tour, uh, in a few days on the 22nd. and, You know, I just was so fascinated with this sort of Aztec ritual of the, you know, keeping the skulls on the, on this, like, uh, I mean, I can't remember if they found similar structures in Europe and just were making the comparison or if they found these structures specifically in Mexico, but I remember at one point during the documentary, they used one of these CGI recreation type things. It looked like it was out of like a early 2000s video game. And they showed, you know, a guy with like a weird face paint on a stone pyramid. And there was this sort of skull wall, you know, wall of, of skulls sort of, uh, epoxied together or something, you know, or, or no, they were like on stakes, you know, horizontal, you remember that scene from the documentary? I remember, I remember that scene, of course. So that comes to mind for me with Skull and Bones because you got to imagine, you know, in this little clubhouse of theirs that they've renovated a number of times, progressively bigger each time um, till its final status uh, as it stands. You got to wonder if maybe underground there or on one of the floors, they have this sort of, display of, of all these skulls that they're allegedly said to have, uh, what do they call it? Crooked. That's their little word for it. Crooking.
0: Yeah, that was, uh, um, that was, that was, that was quite the documentary, wasn't it?
1: Absolutely. From the dinosaurs to the, (laughs) to the beautiful, um, jaguar, costume people and the paintings. I thought that was really, that was my favorite part. And I'm glad you brought that up on the phone earlier. Uh, Not today, but the day before, um, because it was just, yeah, that really stood out for me. The quality of those paintings and the detail and just the elaborate costumes that the people were said to be wearing at that time. I mean, some of them looked like wizards, like how we would know wizards, you know, how they're the, depicted in Western culture that these like pointy hats on and like, you know, big robes.
0: The, the costuming yeah. was, was, was spectacular. The costuming was spectacular. Um, and it certainly in my imagination, uh, it came to life more so of how I am to envision that, uh, you know, those, the, those warriors, right? Like when it showed the, the eagle warrior and the, and and what it takes to become an eagle warrior mm. and the dress they wore. And it made me think a lot about the samurai, like um, just the the significance of... I, I was very curious about the costumes. I'm like, is it armor? It's probably armor and costumes because I was thinking about the, the samurai. That's where I was going with that. It's like because that is how you would look at their... Their <clears throat> um, armor, as well, it had a costume-esque fla- uh, flavor with the expressive faces, hmm. but it also had an armor or a, a functional purpose. And so, I'm wondering if that was the case there, which I would imagine to some degree would be there—not necessarily, you know, maybe some leather or something like that. Um, but that was that—that that was that's where my mind went when I saw uh, those, those costumes that made it all come alive for me.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that fits in with, uh, at least what they said for like the migration of the, that was kind of one of their points that they made through the documentary of like, you know, if, if the people that settled North and South America had as much time as the people in the rest of the world, then maybe, you know, this great sort of, uh, division that took place where they were the sort of losers in the end of the age of, you know, colonization. Um, that was kind of like a, a point, right? Cause the whole point of this YouTube channel is the fall of civilization. So their, their thesis was like, well, when they, when they met, you know, the Europeans, that was the beginning of the end for them, which is true to some extent, but I would argue that, you know, for, we're going to look at a lot of the cultures that existed here. They're probably one of the more well-documented cultures out of the rest. So in some sense they've survived and the people are not decimated. I'm sure there's still people who have, I'm certain that there's still people that have Aztec blood that live and walk on the earth today. So that part, it's not that I disagreed with it. I just thought it was an interesting, like um, you know the guy's clearly British, but it was a very like uh, Western centric opinion on that, and then also the the fact that there was uh, there was no talk of the possibility that like people traveled via the ocean to these lands prior to that land bridge, because you know our friend Ross Ben talks about that uh, how you know there are these African kings that sailed across the Atlantic. And you know all the other myriad. Our friend Howie, who uh, or Howdy, sorry, that was on uh, my show when we talked about the Vikings and how they sort of congregated with the Micmacs up there in northern parts of uh, eastern Canada. So yeah, that the fact that they didn't take any of that into consideration disappointed me. But it, it's to be expected. It seemed like they were getting a lot of only mainstream sources on this stuff.
0: All right. There, there are two things which I want to respond to to so remind me that the second one is going to be uh, the threat of connectivity. So just, so when I say, Hey, what was it? It's so like, yeah, threat of connectivity. That's what triggered my mind. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the first thing I want to respond to is um, you're absolutely right. The context of the video. Uh, we said it, we, we said it in the last, I think it was the last time we recorded together about the fact that we both were like, yeah, the dinosaur thing, we're all from mammals. And and like, it was leading in with, this is the perspective in which we look at reality. And so we have to assume that that is also true about history, right? Like if they could go and be this, this, this pointed with how they want to frame up a biological life on earth, um, then, The same is true for,
1: for the indigenous peoples. Yeah,
0: exactly. And so you, you said something, which I thought was, was a really, really interesting point when you said like, and the, the, the Aztec civilization is probably one of the best known civilizations in, uh, common Western mind of, um, indigenous people, particularly of, of Mesoamerica, like that middle America between North and South America. Um, And then the question is like, well, why is that? Because there are a whole bunch of other ones, right? Like this is the one everyone knows.
1: Mm, Right.
0: This is the one everyone knows. And so, uh, and I'm just saying this just as an observational point. It's it's like this is a story which certainly wants to be, which is certainly being promoted. Like, you know, it's getting a lot of promotion. Look at this story. Don't look at these other stories. And we also uh, talked about this about how he did mention the Olmecs, and there was nothing. So there's a lot of things which we can go and see that there's um, there's some uh, uh, pointed ways of telling these stories. I mean, there, it's very well done, and it was informative. But but we can go in and and see that we should look at it. The information we get will be just aware that it comes from a certain perspective.
1: Absolutely.
0: And we can agree to that. So that being said, this is the interesting, the, the, um, the interesting, um, connection piece. So as you were saying, uh, a moment ago, you sa- you said that the, the, the purpose of this, of this, uh, video series is falls of civilization. You know, the rise and the fall, the rise and the fall or, or what have you. Um, and so you indicated that the fall of the civilization was then the, uh, introduction of the conquistadors from Spain, correct?
1: Right. That's their sort of, uh, insinuation, but right. I think I would argue it's far more complicated than that.
0: Right. Right. But they want to tell us a story. So everything is more complicated than a simple story, but in their story is this is John D. So, re- so the, This is also the same time that the British Empire began, Mm. and and the British Empire began, or the story we're told, is it began. Uh, it was named by John D. as the advisor to Queen Elizabeth I. And he said that we should have this thing called the British Empire. We will, you know, whatever. Whatever they said uh, in this is like 1570s sort of thing. Like there, there's a birthplace. The point I'm trying to make is we're identifying like a collapse of one civilization. And then we have this right around the same time, this birth of a new civilization. I'm going to go show you the thread. And the thread is that John D, by utilizing his obsidian mirror, the Shrew Stone, was able to receive the Enochian magic. Hmm. Like that's the that's the, the story of John D. And where did John D get the Shrew stone? The Shrew Stone was given to him and it was said to have come from one uh, uh, during Cortes's raidings of of the um, empires in Mesoamerica. Right
1: obsidian.
0: So, so, so it's like yeah, like the story which were were which is being implied was this was an Aztec kings like the the Tlachiel, the the high priest and the other thing which was interesting was Tlaxiell was the advisor to five different kings and he never would take himself as king. It sounds very Francis Bacon and John Dee like in my opinion because they were both advisors to the to the ruling monarch. Um, but that the the tool of seeing it of whatever this 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 obsidian mirror is, this black mirror, uh, the exact same one which was used by their high priest was then given to John B. And then lo and behold, here comes the British Empire. Right. Lo and behold, it's got more in common than less in common.
1: <laughs> and this is this is fitting right into exactly what amos told me and you know like i told you previously i I got in touch with him i went to his house (laughs) when i showed up uh you know i'm like yo amos i like yelled his name in the back lot and these like guys who didn't speak english come out from the first floor and they're like huh who who are you talking about but (laughs) fingers crossed i walked up the stairs and he's still living in the same spot and it was a great reunion but uh But, yeah, one of the things that he told me that really took me back, you know, and made me think at an age when I thought I had all this stuff figured out was that the conquistadors had this book that basically showed them everything they needed to know about uh, the Aztec and the Mayan civilizations before they arrived on the shore, you know. So they knew, and Amos, you know, every time I... Bring this up with them, he'll tell me it the same way. You know, he, he was like he said they put a feather in their hat, and they knew to put a feather in their hat because they knew that that would indicate that they were arriving on behalf of the plumed serpent, which was in line with their um sort of apocalyptic beliefs.
0: So all of this what you're describing lines up perfectly with that book we talked about the return of the serpents of wisdom.
1: <laughs> right.
0: And their implication is like all of these people are connected. They all know what they're doing and they do it. And so the return of the serpents of wisdom is telling it the story it from the perspective that these are the good guys and this is the reawakening of all things in, in, on, you know, the growth in humanity and, and, on earth. Um, and then we're also hearing other stories and, and, and I'm not like, I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong. I'm just saying like, I'm just, this is just what I'm seeing right now. And the other one is like, um, also concurs with this, which is like, well, hold on. One group of people were raised to believe that when they see this one sign that they act this way. And then this other group of people are like, oh, this is what I do when I arrive so that they know what to do. Like, it's it, it seemingly like, oh, yeah, this is connected. This is connected. So um, I want to kind of tie that back then to um, the, the in, our, in our observable reality, the whole story and the similarity between Talakiel the good and Talakiel the bad. Because we've got return of the serpents good and return of the serpents bad, um, JSD real, JSD fake. Like th- th- this, is what this is what it, it And they all are like these. When it's the good, the bad, like there's the, it comes up with the trickster, like there's a boogeyman.
1: Well, and it's and the also boogie- the the Hegelian dialect that Skull and Bones is famous for promoting,
0: which is the same thing, which is the same thing. So when you're ready, I can't wait to go and talk about like where, where we go with this, but we could stay on the documentary a little bit more.
1: Well, uh, no, I, I want to see what you mean by that. Yeah. Go, let's go for it. Let's go for it. I mean the documentary, there's definitely, I mean, it's an hour and a half long. So <laughs> people who haven't checked it out from that f- prior episode where we discussed it, the link was in the description. I'll put it in this one as well, but, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot to be talked about on that documentary. I oh, just,
0: it's,
1: it's, it. go on. I would just point out the, also the similarity between the, the heart sacrifice and how they talked about, you know, they, this is, I've read about this in books, but it's first time I've ever seen it described in this much detail in a documentary, but the whole ceremony of, of, uh you know, why they would take out the heart. And and there's the famous Indiana Jones thing that I think a lot of people think about when they hear something like this. But the the thought was, is that since the heart, and it is still a mystery to science how the heart does this, I believe, um, or maybe at least physical science, but um, the heart, you know, beats for at least 10 minutes after being taken out of the body. So obviously seeing that would probably amaze someone who didn't have that kind of knowledge of anatomy and they basically were like, see, this is the energy leaving the heart and going back to the sun. That's sort of a paraphrased way of describing how the documentary retold that in a much more eloquent way. But when I heard that, that was another thing. It's like, wow, Amos told me this, you know, really grotesque sort of story about what these Skull and Bones guys do involving a heart. And, you know, I told you the details off air, and I really don't want to talk about that on air. I think it's something that uh, people will hear on the free walking tour. So I'll give you the teaser there. But, you know, it's just the similarities to to those two things really struck me. You know, they have all these skulls that are allegedly part of their their decor at the very least if not part of their ceremonies and then we have this ceremony of uh you know the sun ritual with a heart.
0: uh the, most definitely and and I, wanna, I I I'm, I'm going to go in and and um I'm I'm just going to challenge one thing you said I'm going to challenge one thing you said okay and you said to me you said you know, imagine if you didn't know anatomy. If you saw a heart taken out of a body that beats for ten minutes, you'd be in awe. And I'd be like, Mark, you know anatomy. I think if you saw a heart taken out of a body and put on the table and beat by itself for ten minutes, you'll be in fucking
1: awe. <laughs> well, yeah, I would be. I would probably because be that fainting. That but is, yeah,
0: <laughs> that is a mystery. That yeah. is like, what is this? Right. Like it doesn't matter who or what you are. Or if you are at such a place that you are not in the awe and the mystery of it, well, then it's it's you know you've you've, you've in my opinion, that would be an applic- uh, a, a a correct application for the phrase, you've sold your soul, you know, and all that that implies. Because if you can't see in what you just described, uh. Um, like the the wonder and the mystery behind us all will you know will, you're you're missing the point of it
1: right Well, um, excuse my clinical <laughs> sort of I'm thought. teasing you I, you know I'm teasing you
0: I'm teasing <laughs> you like I'm, but I'm saying that but but I think that's like um so th- there's something let's go with this as well. let's go with this. So what is the most secret secret organization in the whole wide world? The skull of bones, but we all know about it. And Anthony Sutton literally wrote a book about them. Like, like, you know, it it came out. The most powerful people in the world, it came out. We know all about the heart ritual. Like, why is it, but for whatever reason, it's. I bet you there are other rituals with, with like, like the liver, and other, or kidneys, or, or, or intestines, which we don't know about, but we know the heart one, for whatever reason. But, like, kind of like what I was saying before with the fact that we know, we know one story on um, or or one story gets a lot of promotion as it relates to the indigenous folks of, of 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 Mesoamerica from a time before and that being the 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 ultra violent the ultra aztec uh, what was covered in the book or in that documentary though also was the fact that um, the two sides of it, the amazingly artistic and mathematically and musically inclined Aztec as well. So he we right. did point out the, the the duality aspect of it.
1: Well, and you, um, you see it in the documentary. I mean, uh, it carries through, I'm sure, into the modern day, but the, the codexes that the Dominican friars put together to document their culture, they asked the natives to provide the illustrations. And, I mean... It, it people had obviously been training in this for years you know wasn't somebody who had picked up uh artistic instrument for the first time uh they're very skilled at what they were doing you know
0: they're amazing i mean and that's what they they did talk about the toltec civilization or the toltec are the artists right and, and, and an implication that it is through that lineage, the, what, what they described was that the, the Toltec lineage is, is where the, the mathematical expertise and artistic and craftsman, uh, mastery came from and from the brutal violence came from their nomadic, uh, the nomadic lineage. Right. That's kind of how the, the, the storytelling, what's, what's so fascinating is, uh, is these are two we're we're, we're comparing two very very well produced, well put together stories. Like when we talked about the Penny Royal, and now we're talking about about um, this Aztec one. They're done very differently, but the one thing which they have in common is that the 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 caliber or the the capability of being a really good storyteller, they, they, they both exude. And so I also think what we're doing is an exercise, uh, in describing discernment and discernment, just saying like, okay, let's understand everything which we're looking at so that we don't necessarily fall just for, um, polished leather and shined up brass. Hmm. Right. All right. So, do we have more on the Aztecs? No. Okay. So this is where I wanted to. Th- th- this has been such a uh, a really good segue, and so all I'm all I all am sharing right now is my own perspective. You know, this is this is where this is where Uncle Mike is right now. Um, so. <laughs> preface now. I'm going to take a step back. Um, the last time we talked about, uh, we talked a little bit about the presentation I was making which was born from a conversation which we had here when you introduced the, the connection through Herkimer and um, and basketball. And I have since put that presentation out there and that presentation was ultimately about, wasn't about Herkimer and basketball, it was about new ways of thinking about number and, and living internet and stuff like that. And it struck a chord with people based upon comments. Like, you know, I don't think so that many people watch the the content I put out, but it's consistent. You know, the numbers they show me, it's like 2000 people watch whatever video uh, comes out and the comments, when you see the comments, you could tell that there was a portion of the people that it really struck a nerve. And what struck a nerve with them was this idea that, okay, there's, there's another story, which is, which is being, which is being told something, which, which I, I'm not quite certain what it is yet. And I don't think that in that presentation, I laid out a blueprint, but I just laid out ideas of different ways of looking at story. So that was, that was the last presentation. So I'm working on another presentation. That's what I want to talk to you about. Okay. Can we talk a little bit? Because it's in that vein and this vein, which we're talking about in my opinion is what for me is what matters when you come out the other side of seeing the depths of the egregore, Mm. the Watico, the, 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 the trickster, the, the, um, all of that, whatever that was like, you go through it. Maybe it eats you up and chews you out, or it spits you out on the other side. And you begin to look at—you don't even look at the boogeyman anymore. So we began by talking about the 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 living internet. And so the next video, uh, or the next presentation—I haven't—I'm putting together the slides right now, and it has to do with um, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at the human being and first how we have been so conditioned to see ourselves um, through not just the animal, uh, the animal nature of being human, but then um, specifically the predator prey relationship of animal, of animal nature being human. And I go into it and I'm like, well, you know, this was framed up. We were taught to see the world a certain way, the bi- you know, all of the genus and the, spe- and the species of the binominal nomenclature. You know, that, that's a way of seeing things. But when And you have to go to school. Like the very nature of the only way you can learn to see the world that way is you go to school. Because if you did not go to school that way, if you did not go to school, you would never see the world that way. And the way that that, that system is is to accurate. But accuracy is not necessarily true. So there are other ways, there are other stories, there are infinite ways, I suppose, you could go and understand the spectrum of life on Earth. And this other way uh, is known as the doctrine of signatures. And that's basically like, you know, shit that looks like, you know, they're alike. You know, it's, uh, what's the what's the word? I don't know how to pronounce. pro
1: pin I
0: need to see it like spelled out in a hyphenated like, or like, because when I hear it just auditorily, it doesn't take root for me, but whatever. So (laughs) that's, that's, that is the nature, that is the nature of, of, of understanding the continuum of life, uh, on earth is, is understanding that, which is ultimately a metaphysical perspective of the of the reality experience, which is different than, than the, the physical basis of seeing the spectrum of life divided up in these very like linear though, like accurate descriptions of like the way life is. Um, they're different ways. And so we've got the animal nature, which there's a truth to that. And then, but we've been sold on this truth. We've been sold on this truth and there's all these reasons why that truth takes hold. And then, you know, if you also look at life through the sign the doctrine of signatures, you see that we are, we are tree beings or we share a connectivity with trees. Mm. And it's very, very obvious if you go and you just look at how they are similar. And so this is just the beginning point. And so the beginning and what, what, what the, where I go in this presentation is looking at the neuron. You know what the neuron cell is, right? Right. And you know what it looks like, right?
1: You can describe it as dendritic. Like all of I these I don't even things know what are, that word. All of these things are, are dendritic, meaning they resemble uh, branches, veins, even rivers, yeah. they all take this same branching pattern. Yes. Yes. But you, you see are it in crystals. Right. When you see it in crystals, it's referred to as dendritic so-and-so, whatever the mineral is. That's how I know and,
0: it. Yes. It's a beautiful word and that, and you're absolutely right. All of these things are connected the same way. They're all connected. And so the, the, the neuron cell, the nervous system. So you first look at what the nervous system is. The nervous system is how we perceive the outer world. It is where our consciousness lives. The nervous system, like the brain and the spinal cord and all the nerves that come out in the, uh, in, in those ways they're made of, uh, the, they're made primarily of the nerve cells known as neurons. So, and they,
1: can I, can I jump in real quick?
0: Please, please.
1: So, They, uh, I think it was episode five of the Penny Royal. They go into the Wizard of Oz and all of the symbolism there and and how that connects to Downard uh, as well. But one thing that I've always known about the Wizard of Oz is that each character symbolizes uh, what the Theosophists referred to as the four layers of the body, right? Like They probably had a more eloquent term than that, but so... We have the lion, that's the animal side of human. We have the scarecrow, that's the vegetable side of human. And then we have the tin man, that's the mineral, right? So reverse, we have the skeleton, tin man, the nervous system, scarecrow, and then the the flesh, right, is a a, uh, lion. And then Dorothy is the mind or the conscious or the soul. So it's something that, has been in the occult sciences for thousands of years, this sort of similarity between us and plants and the nervous system. You see it in like Paracelsus's drawings on alchemy.
0: Yes. And I, I want to go back to that. So, because this t- that ties in perfectly. Um, the neuron has a trunk though. It's not completely all veined out. It's got like a trunk. If you look at a tree, and you, without its leaves, and that's what's beautiful about winter right now. And if you go and you look and you see, they're they're the same archetype. And so what this says is that uh, this, this and it works both in the macrocosm and the microcosm. If you can imagine, then the the shape of the spinal the spinal cord, all of those nerves. That's the high, that's a high concentration of the nerves, and it goes up the trunk of the spine, and then it has the canopy of the brain on the top. Um, that is also kind of what the neuron looks like or the ner- or that the, the similarity of the tree is both in the brain and the, the, the spinal cord shape. And then also in the neuron shape. So in the, on the smallest level of the, the nervous system and on the macro level, the totality of the nervous system, like there, it, it's just like, that's, that's the nature of the doctrine of signatures, so the, what that indicates is, well, the similarity, because it's very evident where we're similar to animals in form, uh, the similarity in which we share with tree is that of of um, consciousness, of that which the nervous system is. Like, you know, those are just words. Like we know the nervous system is our interface, and this is the tree. It's one and the same. So then what happens, so what does that mean? You're like, that sounds great, Mike that's like a really nice like postcard, but like, you know, where's the meat to that? Well, if you actually go and you look at reality, if you look at fundamental baseline reality, we take away all of the culture, we take out away all of the books, we take away all of the stories, and we look at how, how rea- like baseline reality exists, that there truly is a predator and prey relationship, like that exactly exists. And the, the, the lion, it, it like eats, it eats, it eats like the, the prey in order to survive. And this other thing has to give up its life in order for that to the the higher level predator to exist. Like there's a truth to that. But there's also, that's not the only way which life and mass on great scales is sustained on the three-dimensional plane. Like this is what we literally see. Like a tree which weighs like a billion times more than a lion you know, it weighs a whole lot more than lion. All of its mass is made from carbon dioxide. Through the photosynthesis process, it turns your photosynthesis into something as dense and real as trees. So without getting into anything more specific than that, you have seen with your actual eyes. Like you could touch it and knock on it. Like somehow, like on this realm, which we're calling Earth. That, oh, yeah, like, you know, physical things, they can be supported in a way that they don't have to, like, eat something else in order to have mass. Like, that's not, that's not an absolute truth. Like, it's truth in that, like, animal cycle. That makes sense. But look at this. And then you go and you look at the tree. And the tree is 100% supported. Its relationship is held up by nature itself. It does not take. All it does is give and interacts like, like different cycles, like whether that be the oxygen carbon dioxide, or like, you know, all the birds and the squirrels, they live in the trees, and then like what the leaves do to the soil. Like the the tree is existence is without effort. And so I'm not trying to say like oh oh you're a tree and we don't move. I'm not I'm not that literal. What I'm saying is we know for an absolute fundamental fact that physical reality is sustainable on the realm, which we call earth, which we have no idea what that is. All we know is that's where we are. Like that is a truth. And so we have a tree consciousness and we know it's a tree consciousness because it tells me because my synapses are the same as the friggin' tree. And then I also know that I have an animal consciousness because I got this body, which is more like an animal. But I also know I'm not just like an animal because I don't got fur. I can't keep myself warm. <laughs> Right? I'm not just like an animal because my spine is perpendicular. My consciousness is in a different relationship with the plane of the earth and animals. It's because I can live on the earth in a very different way than an animal. How do I know this? this isn't like you know some like wish of mine. I'm seeing it right in front of me. I just haven't figured out what the fuck that is yet. But what I do think what I do think is that there is a, there is something part of this experience which is trying really, really hard to make us identify with not just being an animal, but being an animal in the predator-prey relationship. And that is also told by the boogeyman. And going back to what you just told me, you're like, well, remember the, 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 the Wizard of Oz? Yes, I remember the Wizard of Oz, because at the end of the day, it was just a friggin' boogeyman. <laughs> but you know what? She came back to reality, and she was a different person. Hmm. And that, my friend, that, my friend, is what I think the whole purpose of JSV is. That, my friend, is what all of this is about. Because at some point, if you come out the other side, and you're not stuck in there your entire life, yelling at them, you're going to go and see, like, oh, there's another story which completely exists all around me. And 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 if I'm not part of that, there are other stories. and They're, they're, they're different stories. What would I do? What would I do if I actually was able to experience that? What if I was surrounded by all of these other people who saw what I'm seeing and were exploring this with some degree of discernment? That to me <laughs> that's that's what coming through the other side is, and that's where we are right now. We're there individually and we're there collectively. And that's the next presentation I'm working on. And so that is the type of that is the type of of um, engagement I wish to have. You know, which I'm choosing right now with 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 the material world. You know, this goes back to all those questions about the technology. How do you meet with it? And so this is uh, this is how I'm beginning to explore the next phase. In or the next chapter <laughs> in in the in the type of research which which I'm doing.
1: I love it. It sounds like uh, a lot of people are resonating with that. A lot of folks that I've interviewed lately, specifically in the paranormal field, are talking about. I want to get out of the house. I want to go and do more field research. It sounds to me like. You're bringing a different perspective, but the same sort of attitude of going outside the boundaries of a computer. And uh, yeah, I think that's something we're going to be hearing a lot more of. Uh, Unfortunately, I haven't gotten any messages about uh, the show lately. So if anybody out there has some synchromistic Events that have gone on in their lives, I definitely would love to hear about it. Reach out, but yeah, I've just been digging through as much as I can about Skull and Bones to give a proper tour to uh, the few folks who are kind enough to show up.
0: So I wanted to go so bad, and I apologize. No, to it's all right. I wanted to go, and I wanted to go for two reasons. Actually, I wanted to go for three reasons. Reason number one. I wanted to support you. That alone, you could be doing something I have zero interest in, but I'd want to go and support you. Uh, why? Because you support me. You put that energy out, and that creates a magnetism. And like I, it's not, it's not like something which, which I, it, it's something I feel intrinsically good about wanting to do. To want to go and support Mark for being Mark. You put your energy out there, and I want to support that. That's number one. Uh, number two is I was interested in the subject matter. I was interested in the subject, matter. I'm like, all right, what is, what is Mark going to show? I know it's going to be fascinating, because you have a fascinating mind. So then the third thing was, I wanted to see your, your, your skill set as a, a, a tour guide, because it's a fun thing to do, and I know you're a good interviewer, you're a good storyteller, and so that is what a good tour guide does, so I wanted to see that in action. But unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to make it, and I'm going to tell you why in a moment. In fact, I've already told you, but I'll tell the rest of the audience. But if anyone is listening to this, and hopefully you're going to get this out before your tour, and when's the tour?
1: The twenty second, two forty five. What day of the week is that? Tuesday.
0: That's Tuesday. Okay, and so and that is your meeting in New Haven, Connecticut, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so New Haven, Connecticut. How long does it take someone to get there from uh, uh, New York, New York City? Like assuming you're outside of the city. Well,
1: if they take the train, it they could even make it right down to the train station. It would only take an hour and ten. If you drive, probably an hour and, an hour 10. and 30.
0: And then when you drove down to Philadelphia, around how long is it from Philadelphia?
1: Oh, from New Haven, from Milford, probably about I don't know two hours and a half, depending on how many tolls you two want to. Two and a half avoid. hours,
0: <laughs> and then how far? How far would you drive from
1: Boston? again, depending on how many tolls you wanna <laughs> avoid, it could be anywhere from two to three hours. Me, I always take the the path of least resistance, but uh yeah. Boston. So that
0: being said, we got people I don't know how many people listen to the show and, and if you live with I get, we just have some 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 uh point of reference for how long it'll take you to get there for those general population centers. Definitely if you can go out and support Mark. I wish I could be there. But on that very same day, uh, I think Roz Ben is coming to the
1: place in Baltimore. Agreed. Yes, you mentioned and, that. And,
0: and so, while you're doing that, me and Roz will be down here, and we're going to be we'll be recording.
1: And I don't blame you, and I appreciate the kind words, and I, I'm sure a time will come where something similar will take place. But, uh, but yeah, so that's I'm not excited so that's to that's not hear my about point. That.
0: So that's not my point, Mark. My point my point isn't that, that I'm choosing one over the other. No, and I know. Undoubtedly. So let me, my point is this. They're connected. We're doing the same thing. We're doing the same thing. So what you're tapped out into, whatever the true nature, whatever the true essence of what you're doing, uh, we're in total harmony. And I think that's a beautiful thing.
1: Agreed. Get this. I was, like I said, I was digging through my research for skull and bones. And one of the things that uh, Anthony C Sutton mentions, it is the connection to John Hopkins university, which I think I've heard you talk about this before. Uh, but if not, there's a chapter in the skull and bones book called the Baltimore scheme. And it talks about a uh, Daniel Gilman, who is a graduate of a very strange class of uh skull and bones men who were very very uh infamous or eh, that's not the right word they were all over the place <laughs> they were you know in all places you know they ministers notable politicians judges et cetera, et cetera military especially but how uh,
0: long is the how long is the that chapter
1: about four or five pages, not too long, six pages.
2: Um, uh, uh, I'd like to read that chapter.
1: The Baltimore Scheme is what it's titled. But, yeah, they, they talk about how John Hopkins University, it was strange to hire uh, this guy, Gilman, as the first president because he, mm-hmm. he was just sort of an outsider um, and only one of the – men in charge of picking the president was a bonesman, but it was clear that he had enough influence and, and yeah, I'm not totally uh, familiar with John Hopkins university, but I would assume they have something to do with education and medicine.
0: Uh, They're the epicenter. right? The medical school is the premier medical school. In our uh, medical school, our Rockefeller Medical School um, industry, uh, but I mean that's just the very beginning. Like right? um, Hopkins is, is a great symbol of of all of that and what that created. Those live and and the they are intimately involved with. Um, the whole sort of uh, uh, narrative about the the virus,
1: <laughs>
0: you know, they're involved in all of it, right?
1: Doesn't surprise. That's me.
0: egregore. Those <laughs> are the egregores. Those are the egregores. Those are the ones who want us to be afraid of them. why right. so they tell us about all the things we need to be afraid of by them. But that, I'm not saying that they're not doing it. But I'm saying, but it's it's they're the wizards. They're the wizards. But they, but that's what they are
1: and it comes after a couple chapters where he explains how there were several different factors that led to them adopting what seems like a Prussian sort of approach to this type of education and he shows how they used some educational techniques that were intended to help deaf people learn how to read Uh, And then they adapted them to, like, early education in this sort of, um, I I think it was the education enrichment program of the, like, turn of the century times. And what's so interesting about the connection there with Prussia is that there's several different connections. But when I was looking through this book, another thing that came up was skull and bones has a sort of like retreat for their alumni, which they call patriarchs up in an area in the St. Lawrence river called the thousand islands, which um, if you're not familiar with that area, it's like right upstate New York, thousands of islands in this island chain. And they have full ownership of this island called deer Island. And, There's one paragraph on the Wikipedia post and it sort of says like, yeah, it's a a sad little thing that's in ruins and nobody really cares about it anymore. Uh, But if you, if you look on the map, it's very proximal to this huge castle called the bolt castle and the bolt castle just happened to be abandoned for, I don't know, the greater part of the, 20th century, right around the time these folks might have, uh, I don't know, hopped on a boat and hung out over there. It's just a speculation on my part. But I found that not only was the Bolt Castle uh, connected to Skull and Bones that way, but this guy, George Bolt, he built this castle after becoming famous through the Waldorf Astoria Hotel fame and and association with Mm. the Astor family. And this whole, <laughs> the whole story behind Thousand Island Dressing, me not really even ever having Thousand Island Dressing that much. Uh, I always just assumed it was like a tropical thing. Sure enough, it comes from the Thousand Islands up here in upstate New York, which is just, I I couldn't have expected that. But somehow Thousand Island Dressing makes its way into the story and connects to Skull and Bones. Um, but yeah, like I said, all speculation on, My point, but they kind of make a sort of like, oh, yeah, Deer Island's nothing to bat an eyelash at. But then you look at all these other, you know, Dark Island is another (laughs) strange island in the area with a big castle. And it was built by the Singer uh, Castle or like the Singer family, you know, the famous like uh, Singer Mm. building in New York City. So, and obviously Skull and Bones is very much connected to this New York City sort of nexus of wealth.
0: What What's the Singer building? What do you mean by that? Singer,
1: Singer uh, so there's a, Singer Fortune was like the um, sewing machines, but there's a building that was in uh, New York City that was one of the more prominent features. I don't know if it still exists, but... I. I don't have the article in front of me right now, but I'll look Ye- for it. Oh, here it is. The singer building commissioned by born for the singer manufacturing company in 1908. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit, it was a building in New York city. I guess it wasn't that special, but
0: <laughs> well, well, why, why did you bring it up again?
1: So all of these, uh, you know, really wealthy international people, this George Bolt guy being from Prussia, have this sort of connection to this area in New York, up upstate New York, in between the border of uh, New York and Canada, on these islands with elaborate castles. There's also a lot of wealthy European people who live over here, and uh, and yeah, then you have the other connection through Skull and Bones to Germany and Prussia and.
0: But, but what's the singer? I'm very, very interested in the singer.
1: Oh, so I mentioned him because he has a castle, one of these weird, strange castles that, you know, they eventually get abandoned and then repurposed. I think most of them are now like available for people to like sort of tour through, you know, they're renovated, but they're, you know, nobody lives in them anymore there's
0: a castle there's a castle in the thousand islands which is which was owned by the guy who's the head of the singer
1: right and all of the so all of these wealthy people have these elaborate vacation homes in this area and skull and bones owns an island there as well but they're sort of you know like you know not really shining light on it They're like yeah it's not nothing it's nothing special but i'm just thinking you know hey there's these big castles that are one of them's abandoned right around this time period and it doesn't really make sense that they'd be hanging out on that island if they could go and hang out in this big castle yeah
0: well the, the singer family ties like that's all baseball hall of fame and um, oh okay I'm sorry I was asking okay yes and they have they had the castle on um the, uh, on the lake Glass, which is where the Susquehanna begins.
1: Okay, and so that's why I was curious where it goes.
0: Huh. And um, the singer, but and you then, mentioned the singer family. Why did you p- mention the singer building though?
1: So it was featured in the two thousand film, The Skulls. So when they talk about this, like uh, you know, island that the skull and bones people owned in their movie, that's the castle where they filmed it was. The castle that the singer family owns in the movie Skulls, which I'm not okay. saying it's like a you know the right, right. connection. And then uh, pro pro pinquity, right? And then the, they the say
0: pro-pinquity. pro pinquity, have
1: sounds quite fancy. <laughs> pro pinquity,
0: as they would say, this is pro
1: And the Deer Island thing, the Thousand Islands thing, the fact that the skull and bones. People own an island in proximity to these grand castles owned by very wealthy people. I just don't, you know, it's not, it's propinquity, of course. But then also, the Iroquois who lived in the Thousand Islands or visited the Thousand Islands uh, much earlier than Europeans got here, they referred to this whole area as the Garden of the Great Spirit or... Manitowana, which connects to our Manitow research that we're doing, which we've talked about a bunch on this show. So here we have a group that's famous for stealing Geronimo, arguably one of the most famous Native American chiefs or warriors ever exist, stealing his skull and bones, bringing it to their tomb. And they also own an island where the Iroquois regard uh, (laughs) the place as a great, the garden of the great spirit. I mean, to me, that's part of this mystical uh, toponymy that, you know, maybe James Shelby Downard had his lens on the Masons, but when we apply it to any group, we find these connections. And whether they're doing it purposely or not, I think it just shows that when someone puts an intention out there in the world, the universe responds with this sort of symbology as if karmically, so that nothing can be left uh, hidden for very long. You know, if there's curious minds, hence why they've put so much emphasis on trying to dumb people down by manipulating the education system.
0: Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> We've covered a lot tonight, Mark.
1: I feel like this is one of these things where, like, I deliver a thesis statement, you deliver a thesis statement, I, and, you know, they they there's propinquity between all of them, but, you know, it does it does take a little bit to digest all of these thoughts. So maybe we'll do an episode uh, a little earlier next week and uh, continue this conversation further after I... After I'm done with the tour, because the next time we talk will be. All right, we'll
0: hear all about the tour, and uh, we'll go from there.
1: But before we before we wrap up on that topic completely, can we get a little hint uh, what the next from the fortieth parallel episode might have in store? Because I am super excited, and I'm glad that. There is this resonance. I wonder what else is going on. If anybody else is doing something cool on 322, maybe you're out in another state, you can't make it out to uh, New Haven. Tell us what you have going on. Uh, but what can we expect from from the 40th? Uh
0: I really don't know what's going to happen. I think there're going to be a bunch of people here and it could be uh it could be a uh, a open round table discussion. It could be, I'm not really certain. We do not have a set format at the very least. It's going to be an update and a catching up. And we'll definitely have a Baltimore, um, a Baltimore, uh, angle to it.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll do my best to scan these seven or so pages, send them over to you. Cause I definitely think you should read the, Baltimore scheme. Maybe we can make that part of our next conversation, but yeah, I'll be in touch. Keep me updated on all that. And, uh, thank you so much folks for listening to your handbook for the apocalypse. Episode 23. We're already at episode 23, Mike. What do you think of that?
0: Wow. (laughs) And it would only make sense that on the episode of JSD, it's number 23.
1: (laughs) Wow. Wow. I think we have to name this episode uh, Pro-Pinquity uh, but it would be a good title to call it JSD23, maybe we'll do both uh, either way right, well, how
0: about this, how about this, what is it it's a King Kill 33 Pro-Quick Pro-Pinquity pro, pro, pro
1: JSD23 love it
0: alright alright Mike Another one in the can, Mark. Excellent, excellent conversation. I'll see you next week.
1: See you next week.